So Nathan, how's life on the hive treating you? Very social. Mm, mm. Very, very Indeed, multicolored. Uh, very, very uh, active. I would say. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I would say um, that it's nice and peaceful. I get to sit and look at some art from people that made the jump, and there's nothing mm. else happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it it came it came from the moon. It, it, it's been fascinating these past few days or past few weeks. I past suppose, few weeks now. everything unfolds because there was a day. It was like one day when everyone was like, "We're all going to make the jump to Hive," and then a few days before that, it was, "We're all going to make the jump to Mastodon." Yeah, and then nothing because people just sort of slowly filter back into Twitter again. Yeah, like people can do as much eth- you know theoretical grandstanding as they like. People will stay on Twitter people, because the community is there. The people are there. And it's too much work to drag everyone across. The only people that could do that would be maybe like strategically placed celebrities. But they're not going to do that because they don't want to get seen as political and their brand will be tarnished and they're not sure that all of the other ones that will be theoretically needed are going to do it. So Twitter's where people are and it's just much easier to um, stay. The thing is, right, so there was there was an evening a couple of weeks ago where it was like Twitter's going to die because... Because Elon Musk fired like half the staff, right? Oh, that was such and a that was hysterical. The thing is, I think everyone loves the idea of it going down in a big crash of flames because that's cool and dramatic. It's dramatic. The reality is, if Twitter dies, it's going to be long and it's going to be slow. Yeah, but also to me, it just it signal posts to me how little people actually know about how anything works because it oh, wasn't sure. like it was a fringe group of people saying Twitter was going to die. It was everyone. I said to you at the time, I think it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And then you were like, I don't know, based on what I've been reading. Then I had a look. And even I got gaslit into it. Because afterwards, <laughs> I had to have a little bit of reflection. I was like, I am susceptible here to mass thought groupthink. And I, I, I always hoped that I wouldn't have been. But that was a clear moment where for like 40 minutes, I was like, this is the end. But it was only because people were saying it. It's more fun to get sucked up into it, though, because you can like live in the imaginary world where Twitter goes down in a blaze of glory. That's very true. That's very true. Um, but it also was just kind of embarrassing, because it's like just get just get be an adult. Just it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. He almost stupidly fired a bunch of people, and those engineers are much more knowledgeable than him about how the service works. But at the same time. He needs to know that he ain't going to tank a forty-four billion dollar acquisition in two nights. You know, like, it takes some time to kill it. Uh, you got a perfect clip there for when it happens. <laughs> it takes some time to kill these things. Now we have two main things, I think, or at least like one and a half main things we want to talk about. But we have waited a while on this, so there's been a couple other things that I want to quickly address, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Knock yourself out, buddy. So, the main thing I want to talk about... We got a couple of trailers for Brazil Comic Con, is that what you said it was? Yeah, Brazilian Comic Con. But the main one that interests me is we got a trailer for the new Indiana Jones film. Oh, man. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so, here's the thing. I actually think this looks surprisingly good. 
I'm not. James Mangold's involved. He done Logan. He done lots of good stuff. I don't know that name, so it's a surprise to me just based on the fact that it's a fifth Indiana Jones film. Have you seen Logan? I haven't seen Logan, actually. You haven't seen Logan? <sighs> right, think, think just, the director made a film about an old man and a young girl on a road trip. Okay, well, put that Har- does seem... Put Harrison Ford and Phoebe Waller-Bridge into that. We get the same movie. Except I don't think that... Um, I don't think... It's not going to have the same tone. So, and also, I don't think it's going to have the same ending. Yeah, seems unlikely. So, you think it looks surprisingly good, Kyle? Why? Because, I I don't know. I To me, it seems like an odd idea to make a fifth Indiana Jones film. Especially since I think it's very funny that the plot of this one is like the whole, oh, he's getting too old for this, which was also the idea of the last film as well. He's I just like he's even even older than, than too old for this. Now. I don't I don't think that's what this movie's gonna be about though, the fact that he's too old. I know that that'll be part of it because they are compelled by society to have to address the fact that he is an older gentleman. But apart from the fact that they feel they need to address it, I actually don't think that's what this film's gonna be about. It's not gonna be you know this will be an undiscovered country, you know? Whereas you could say that the King of the Crystal Skull might have been a Wrath of Khan. Feels old, but he's still got some juice in him. This is no way really are old. This really is the end. Right, okay. How do you feel about the name? So, it's a bit weird. I saw the tweet from the official Disney Twitter account, and it says Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in theatres. And it was a crap poster. Such an awful poster of just Harrison Ford in the hat and said Jude 30 at the bottom. No title on it or anything. It was just the tweet text that was the title. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was something else. I was like, wait, is this coming out before Indiana Jones 5? What's this? What's the Dial of Destiny? When's Indy 5 coming out? Because <laughs> I, I, it, it read to me like a Star Wars Legends book title. Mm-hmm. Um, like Or like a video game or like a side thing that they were doing. And then after like, and I, I don't just mean like a beat, I mean like five beats went by and I'm just like, what is this? What is this? And then it goes, is this, is this it? Is this the name? I don't know if I don't like it. I think it's just Indiana Jones to us is such an ingrained, it's even rarer than James Bond. We don't get one every day. We don't even get an IP related thing all the time. We don't get comic books or toys or something. It's like a, this is like an IP that disappears for 10 years at a time. To hear a new thing, it's like when The Force Awakens came out. It's like, oh, this is there's a new Star Wars thing coming out, and this is a new name that we've never had before. When six movies was so ingrained as being that's what it is, and you get time to adjust to it, and I think that it doesn't really set you off. But I think Dial of Destiny will be fine. I can kind of hear it in the same vein as like a Temple of Doom. I think it's not as cool a title as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That was very, that's a cool title. I think the thing about it for me is there's something so modern about the word dial. I'm not modern because dials aren't modern, but something very technological about it. Whereas all the previous titles are like the Temple and Raiders the of the Crusade. Lost Ark, the Last Crusade. You know, they're all very sort of old timey, like adventure type things. Then dial is just like, is he tuning a radio to, to channel destiny? Well, so I think that this is the dial of destiny is going to be about. I know, it's f- a, I know it's a setting. It's like a saying. I understand that. Is it a saying? Yeah, it's it's like I think so. I think I've heard that before. Well, I think it was. I think it was going to be a reference to. I think we, th- we think there's going to be time travel shenanigans involved, which is going to be 
you know. Really oh, interesting. Boy. That's that's certainly a direction to take. I, I really hope they don't do time travel, but I know there's going to be time jumps in it because we're going to see young Harrison Ford. That's in the trailer. You know, they announced well, yeah, that before the trailer even trailer. came out. Yeah, I th- just think he looks great, by the way. What might get confusing though is I think they're going to try and pretend that Kingdom Crystal Skull didn't happen. So it's going to be weird to think of like, oh, when we jump back to 1944, he, this is somebody who hasn't done Kingdom the Crystal Skull yet in the 50s. Yes. You know what, Kyle? Here, here. I can, I can sum it up in this, right? This is how I feel about Indiana Jones 5 and the Dial of Destiny. Mm-hmm. It is my most anticipated movie of next year. Wow, okay. Even more so than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I... We can get there. That that'd be a good segue if we didn't if I didn't have more to say. But I got more to say. Say it again later. I honestly, I like the best movie ending to me ever is the ending of the Last Crusade. I think it is a perfect ending. I think just everything beat for beat is wonderful. Uh, just like the last scene with the right away in the horses, right? And you were named after the dog, Sean Connery, all of that wonderful stuff, right? This is almost like the last adventure action franchise that still exists with the original cast. Like, when the first Indiana Jones movie came out, they were still making William Shatner Star Trek movies, you know? And I just... Uh, I'm just so excited. I just I like Indiana Jones as a character. I like, like he punches the Nazis, and Harrison Ford does a punch better than any actor that's ever lived. I mean, you always need those classic Indiana Jones punch noises. Exactly. I thought the tra- I thought the end sting in the trailer was really funny when he whips everyone and says, "Get back!" Really, like he's fighting for his life, and they'll pull out guns. And he thought it was good fun. It's good fun. And uh, it's just something about it. Maybe it's just the romance of the franchise in my head talking, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm just really looking forward to it. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but. Are you looking forward to it as much as you're looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy 3? No. I'm looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy 3 more. Ah, are you? Yes. I love the Guardians films. Guardians 2 is one of my favourite of the entire Marvel series, to be honest. I really like Guardians 2 more than I like Guardians 1. However, I've always found Star-Lord to be an awful character. I find him really annoying. I see the Guardian's humour, like the silly jokes and the serious moments. I've never been a fan of it. I mean, some would argue that's all of the Marvel movies. There's something about the Guardians that stick out. Like, you know you know that yourself. There is a tonal comedic difference in the Guardians movies that isn't present in the rest of the MCU. It's it's more exaggerated. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's even as humorous as the Taika Waititi Thor movies, though. I think those are the most extreme. I think the stakes are lower. Ah, uh, I wouldn't be so sure about that. Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm saying is in the context of before Thor, Love and Thunder. Right, okay. Ragnarok isn't particularly high stakes. All of Asgard gets destroyed in Thor Ragnarok. And he doesn't really make many jokes during that third act. I don't know, I think that's part of the... Uh, you're talking about like how uh, he saves Xandar with the dance-off, that sort of thing. Um, kind of, but like... I get that that is literally baked into that movie with the footloose references. Like I here's the th- here's another thing, right? I can acknowledge that James Gunn is a very talented filmmaker and he loves and cares about these characters, and he doesn't half-ass these Guardians movies. He does quite a good job crafting them, but ultimately it'll just come down to taste. 
And I can acknowledge that something's a really good meal with also saying that's just not what I like. And I think that the second Guardians movie is probably better than the first, IMO. I, I just think that they're both not for me, even if I can acknowledge they're good. That being said, though, I am quite looking forward to the third one. Because I quite like the Guardians holiday special. Guardians holiday special was was a fun time. And uh, you probably liked it because Star-Lord was barely in it. Probably. Probably. I like I like the humanity moments of him. See, when he has serious moments, I like that. But I, I just can't be bothered with a lot of the funny. Like I, I'm well, still I, not I'm still not over the bullshit in Infinity War. By the way, where he wakes up Thanos, I'm still not over it. Is that what? Oh, come on, come on. It's this. Well, I, 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 I wasn't big on him before that, right? But it's still hanging over me. This happened in 2018, and I cannot believe that he couldn't keep his shit together for two seconds. Killed his girlfriend, man. Yeah, they they were gonna kill him. They we, they were about to. They were gonna. They got the gauntlet off, and they probably would have killed him anyway. Like that, I don't have problems. With I think, I think for the third one, potentially, he'll be less. He'll be more of his man-child phase. Like it seems like they are going in a more mature direction for him for this last one because his appearance in, in the third and. Love and Thunder. He was a bit more mature. He was actually giving Thor advice. So I, I think he's. I completely forgot they were in Love and Thunder. Yeah, they're barely in it, but they do show yeah. up at the start. At the start, yeah. Yeah, but so I think I think maybe you might like him more in this one. I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. You know, um, I'm really and because again, I know that James Gunn has a true craftsmanship of this trilogy and this is the last one with this team I think we're going to get a few deaths in it to be quite honest with you. I expect everyone says Drax is probably going to bite it and I agree. I'm just kind of like I want to see how it wraps up because I don't think he's going to do it badly like when I go and see Guardians 3 I'm not expecting to go see a bad movie and I'm Mm -hmm. looking forward to it it's just historically just that that whatever that exaggerated humour is just hasn't been for me but We'll see. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. full faith in James Gunn, but it's not going to top Indiana Jones for me for just the rose-tinted glasses I have for that franchise. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, how do I transition to Black Panther from here? You got one? You got an idea for this? Speaking of really funny Marvel movies... <laughs> Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever... <laughs> Oh yeah, it's laugh a minute at that one. <laughs> Speaking of hilarity. Do you want to go? Let's let's try to avoid spoilers for this one because this isn't like our main point of conversation. I would say. Are we going to get I into think... spoilers, or are we just not? Honestly, uh, there's some things that you can spoil, but I think most of this movie you can kind of gather from the trailers anyway. Yeah, this movie isn't one filled with surprises. No, I, it's not. It's not like one where a twist is gonna like change the whole thing, really. There, there aren't really any twists. I would say. I would say there's there's one major death that I wasn't expecting, but other than that, it That's was fair. pretty standard. Very fair. Yeah, T'Challa's death, right? Yeah, I know. I can. I can't believe it. He died off screen between films. <laughs> could, could I actually talk about the opening for this film for a second? Oh, sure. Yeah. I th- thought that was a genius way to begin it because I really was like, right, okay, so we know that this entire movie 
and like a meta level is going to be interesting just to see how they'd not only deal with the death of the character, but it's because the actor had died. Yes. And for the film to start, essentially mere moments before the death of T'Challa is wild. Just like the, the, the it, was, it, it was like a, despite there was no action, but it was like white knuckle like gripping the side of your chair because she's trying to synthesize the whole thing. It's like a shaky cam that's following her through like the hospital clinic, that her science lab. And people are like, go be with your brother. And then the queen walks in, it's like, your brother is dead. And it was so like, everything, like I saw it in a full cinema. And you could like cut the tension in the room with a knife. Because everyone was like, wow, like what a cold open. Literally, it was chill- yeah, chilling. And- Right after that, they also do the the Marvel opening, but it's all silence and Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, didn't they do that for the film that came out immediately after his death? No, uh, I can't. I don't know. They definitely did that for uh, Stanley after Stanley. Oh, Stanley. I'm thinking of. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting one to think about because in many ways the scene only makes sense if you know that Chadwick Boseman has died. Which is it's obvious saying that now because like well everyone knows that it was a massive news story that he died of cancer surprisingly but right as but as, t- as time goes on as time goes on yeah like as a kid fifteen years from now going to be so confused going into the second Black Panther movie that the main character died between films probably yeah, yeah they're like wait they wait where's where's the Chala yeah so it's a very like it's a very of its time movie in that way yeah. So I've some people have asked me what I thought of it, and I've said that I think this movie kind of pulls off what it tries to do. I, I I should say, by the way, we didn't really talk about it. I like this film. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I thought I thought in terms of the Phase Four movies, this is definitely one of the strongest ones. Yeah, I, well, I think this and Spider Man No Way Home are the only two really good movies. Actually, they're really good for very very different reasons. For very different reasons. Um. And I think this movie was really good and I enjoyed it. And I think this film pulls off what it's trying to do, but under some specific circumstances of it kind of being a meta experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you get onto a Black Panther 3, potentially, at some point, you're kind of going to be left, at least I thought we weren't left with any protagonist that was better than the character of T'Challa. And I think a Black Panther 3 you're going to find really struggling because a lot of that audience kind of good faith and intrigue over the death of Chadwick Boseman will just be gone. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to find themselves really stunted going forward being like, oh, I wish we just recast T'Challa because I really don't see a future for any potential Black Panther at the moment. It's like a strong lead, you know? Okay, I think the film does a pretty good job of fleshing out the side characters from the first movie and making them more into sort of ensemble main characters. I think that kind of works because a lot of the characters um, in the first movie were fine, but a little bit underdeveloped, especially uh, Nakia, Lupita Nyong'o's character in the first movie. She is very forgettable in the first movie. Yeah, and, and she shows up and she's got more sort of stuff going on. Like she's kind of kind of moved away from Wakanda. She's doing like teacher stuff. She has like her own stuff going on, which makes her a bit more interesting. So yeah, they, they flesh them out, and obviously um, Queen uh, Rwanda, yeah, Angela Bassett, she is great in this film. And and yet, like, the film does let her be wrong 
in an interesting way. Like, she's clearly doing things that aren't, like, the most strategically sound. Because, like, there's a great speech, uh, I think it's after uh, Minor Spoilers, she removes Okoye from her position. Yeah. And she gives this big speech, I think it's in the trailers as well, of, like, yeah. how much she's lost. Yeah, my family's gone, most powerful nation on Earth, yeah. And even the other counselors are like, are you sure this is the right thing to do? And she's like, shut your goddamn mouth. Yeah. Grease stricken. Great yeah. stuff, yeah. I also, I, I know I, we talked about this already, but I loved Namor in this film. I thought Namor and all of Talokan and all that stuff, I thought that was great. Another kingdom, like it wasn't an oppressive authoritarian militia country. Like it was yeah, just, I, I it was think... just people living their lives. There was kids there having fun. Like it wasn't like it wasn't Mordor, you know. It was just another place. Yeah, and I think that makes it more interesting because, yeah, they could be like your stereotypical evil kingdom, but they're not. You, you can't boil them down to that. Yeah, you can't. You couldn't launch a weapon of mass destruction there, just thinking you're killing baddies. Yeah, and I just think Namor was so charismatic, arguably too charismatic for that character, but I think it works. He's I don't I don't think I don't think he was that charismatic. I never found him convincing I, at all. Oh, I loved him. I thought he was great. I, okay. I I I liked him because I was like, Oh, he thinks he's right but he's wrong, you know? Like he he has a nation of he has a legitimate nation with people who legitimately love him and he thinks he's looking out for their best interests. And him trying to kind of bring Shuri around it's all about chemistry there, though I hope they don't See, go that way. See, I, I think he's totally right. Like he's talking about how he has to protect his nation from the other, from the the surface world, as he calls it, because they're an underwater people. Yeah, and like he's just factually correct. Like America or anything like that would absolutely like kill them all to get that vibranium. And I think at one point, uh, uh, what's her face, uh, Val, actually says that at one point. She's like. Oh, I would, I'm imagining America with all the vibranium right now. It's great. So, like, he, I think the, the, the film is very, uh, very good at demonstrating that he's not wrong about this. There is a strategic advantage here to, to killing everyone first. Well, Obviously, yes, it's uh, not the moral well, right thing you know, to do. Yeah, but... first mover advantage and all the rest of it. But, like, he ultimately is not very democratic in how he deals with other nations such as Wakanda to persuade them you know no you lose no, the argument I, I, with your tactics i get that like he's, he's he's literally wrong with his stance on wakanda wakanda is a surface nation they're not coming for talokan i i i just think the film is really good at presenting it uh a situation where there isn't really a correct way of dealing with this or at least there isn't a very clear one and i think we've already mentioned that like this this plot line about the war for vibranium, that's not going away. That's going to be explored in future the, projects the, as the, well. The vibranium war is here to stay, I think, for now. I yes. think we'll probably see it in Captain America, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. Could play into the Thunderbolts. Because what are they doing with Val right now? I was so surprised she showed up in this movie, by the I way. I was shocked. I had no idea she was in this film. Uh, she, yeah, no leaks, no uh, trailers, no nothing. She just shows up. She just gets out of the car on the bridge and she's just there, you know? And she's married to Martin Freeman. Which I love. Was married. I love that. I don't know, that character is still doing nothing for me at the moment. Martin Freeman? No, uh, Val. Oh, Val? No, I think because she, she's sort of like the anti Nick Fury. 
That's what they keep saying. Well, but... I mean, if, well, I mean, she shows up in the post credit scene of Black Widow and like hires Elena. Uh, she sure, takes yeah. US agent at the end of Falcon the Winter Soldier. Now it turns out she's not even in a shadowy organization. She's just well, it's shadowy. You know what I mean? Relative to MCU standards, she's, she's just she's in a real organization. The di- yeah, she's just the director of like the CIA or something. Because she's now director, mm-hmm. you know, Allegra de Fontaine. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to me, that that whole part with Martin Freeman, you can cut out of the film and lose nothing. Uh, well, Martin Freeman kind of helps communicating with Wakanda and stuff. Yeah, but they could have figured all that stuff out without him being there. But his whole plotline is kind of just there and, and goes and he gets arrested and then they free him. It's a bit of a cul-de-sac in the film. Yeah, so what I, what I would say is I thought this film was a bit long. And I agree. And it, it kind of bulges a bit in the middle and you're thinking, oh, I hope this tapestry of threads all gets roped back together at the end. You know, going from top to bottom. There is there's a point, like halfway through the film, or maybe not halfway, but three quarters where I'm like, Oh man, this is the finale. This is the film over. Oh, I thought the third but, act was rubbish. Should I say, by the way? Yeah, it, it's it's yeah. There's a weird thing, like yeah, aircraft Again, carrier. Minor fight. spoilers, yeah. but there's a there's a really cool invasion of Wakanda scene, which is great. Yeah, where like there's like these water bombs going off. There's actually a great scene where like there's water flooding into the streets. And all the people of Wakanda are looking down like, what's, what's happening? Why is there water flooding the streets? And then like... <laughs> They're not expecting to have been attacked. Yeah, and then just like, shit just goes down and it's great. And then, but that's... But the finale doesn't also take place in Wakanda. It takes place on this giant weird boat thing. An aircraft it's carrier. Weird. Yeah, it's it's an odd finale. I mean, I like the fight between Shuri and Namor, but everything else in that finale is just like random yeah. bad. What do you think of Ironheart? She is another one where, like, she feels like she's in this film not because it benefits the film, but because she's getting her own show later. Yeah. And that was just how I felt about it the whole time. I agree. Because in terms of of narrative function, she really just completely doubles up with Shuri. Yeah. In terms of, like, she's the the scientist person who does all the science stuff, but Shuri does all that in the film, so she's just there to also, like, say, yeah, that makes sense. It's like Echo being in Bad Batch. Yes, yes. Sorry, I thought you meant Echo and Hawkeye for a second. No. Like, what? What's no. that? Yeah, no. Yeah, you're um, right. Echo doubles up with tech. Yeah. Yeah. You mean? And I think that her outfit wasn't great either. I didn't like her Ironheart uniform. No, it looked a bit like I. It looked fake, even though I've seen pictures, and it was actually like a practical set or a packed practical well, costume well, for I, some the, of it. Well, the pra- I don't even know if it was actually. I know there is a practical costume coming in for the Ironheart show, but it's not the same one because I feel like it was to sell toys because they specifically end this movie with "You can't take your suit home with you," so she's going to need oh, to build yeah. a whole new suit in the Ironheart show, and that one actually looks more Iron Man like. Whereas this... I thought it was so odd that she has an Iron Man suit in this and they don't really make it that big of a deal. Like, it's just a thing. Yeah. She's just got an exoskeleton of Stark tech and it's fine. What well, that's This is what's going to all come home to Rooster Armor Wars, I think. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised if Rhodey shows up in Ironheart. Oh, I, I guarantee you will, yeah. I, I'm, I always forget that, Iron, that Armor Wars is now going to be a movie. Because in my head it still feels like it's going to be a show, but then I'm like, no, a movie, that means higher stakes. Like, it's going to be a bigger deal now. In terms of this movie, I still think that Ironheart was a bit like... Like, yeah, she was the one who made the vibranium scanner thing, but 
in terms of the movie, that could have been any scientist. It didn't need to specifically be Riri Williams. It just felt a bit uh, shoved in there. I think that um, this is one of those moments where we're feeling the symptom of the shared cinematic universe forcing things to happen. Because it's like, oh, we've got a show coming when he's introduced a character beforehand. I think that has been a major problem with Phase 4 in general. Phase 4 has been kind of weak sauce. Um, I, I, I just think a major problem of it has been this needs this feel that they have to put something in something else before it can just be its own thing. Like this was kind of the biggest problem with Hawkeye is so much of it is about Echo for reasons that don't really make sense unless you know that Echo is getting her own show. There's, there's definitely other examples of this, but I'm drawing a blank right now. You could say Black Panther and Civil War, but that worked. Yeah, that that one made that one was integrated a little bit better. I don't know. I just feel like it's been very prevalent in this era, in this phase, which is over now. I guess. I guess it doesn't really feel. They've said that this was the last film, but it doesn't feel particularly climactic as the end of a phase. You know? Well, phases were always supposed to be like just a production schedule. They weren't supposed to be the fandom thing, and then the fans latched onto it. So now they kind of use it as marketing. But I think creatively, they ultimately still just see it as a production schedule. And I do think that it is kind of disjointed with things like the plus shows extending phases and making maybe phases kind of feel like they're ending sort of arbitrarily. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first phase ended with Avengers, you know? Well, yeah, and then the next phase ended with Avengers 2. Yeah, and then phase 3 ended with Avengers 4. Exactly, so... What I've started to hear is that um, the what the point of the multiverse saga is is going to start to become very apparent. Like, Mm -hmm. all this what is the Infinity Saga with the Infinity Stones and you're going to start seeing the stones show up wasn't wasn't always prevalent in the MCU. It kind of really started to get heavy from about Age of Ultron onwards. But the first... Well, yeah, because it wasn't clear. It it, it was kind of backfilled that the Tesseract is an Infinity Stone and the same with the Aether in Thor 2. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of think that we might get a little bit of that with this phase, except now we're clued into it so we're looking for it ahead of time. Well, they've kind of hinted at some stuff with like uh, the Ten Rings and Shang-Chi. But what has that got to do with the multiverse saga? Well, exactly. It, it Presumably something, but we just don't know what it is yet. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. I'm thinking that maybe starting with Quantumania, because that is you know, Kang. Yeah, well, yeah. I think, it's, I think I've heard that Quantumania is apparently a bit of a silly movie. I really hope it's not. Yeah, I know Ant-Man's supposed to be funny, but like Kang's quite a serious guy, you know? That's why it's such a weird choice to introduce Kang in an Ant-Man film. Anyway, I, Black Panther, pretty good. I think we've been dancing around the at least what my main issue with the film is, and you kind of suggest that, that they don't have a protagonist to rival Chadwick Boseman. No, they do not. And that's my major problem with the film, which is it never convinced me that Shuri, who this is basically Shuri's movie, she is the protagonist, it never convinced me that she has the the charisma to lead a franchise. Well, from what we've heard, apparently she doesn't want to. Well, yeah, there's that too, but which is which makes it doubly weird that they chose her to be the protagonist, but... I mean, it makes sense. Comic book like, reasons. Comic book reasons, and she has his sister. Like, I understand why we did it, 
but from the outside, it, and she's not who I would have picked. Well, they made M'Baku Winston Duke. They made him the king. Yeah, but that was weird too, because it's not really that set up in this film that he's gonna do that. So I don't know. I think it's... we might. I think we might see him becoming the the new Black Panther going forward if Shuri wants to stay in Haiti. I can see that, and I think it's. I think it's genuinely think it's going to be quite a while till we get a third Black Panther film, anyway. Yeah, I think we're going to see Black Panther. Could you imagine if they did Avengers Secret Wars and there wasn't a Black Panther? Like, yeah, no, I'm sure on. there will be a Black Panther in Secret Wars, but I don't think we're going to get a Black Panther three for like, I don't know, maybe like five or six years at least. Yeah, yeah. So did I. I mean, what? 2018, 2019, I mean, four years. like, uh, there's rumours that Ryan Coogler is going to direct the next Avengers films, right? Uh, so, there's rumours that he was going to direct Secret Wars because the director of Shang-Chi is who got the Kang Dynasty. Right, okay. And they don't, th- and they think that because these films are, apparently they're going to be bigger tasks than Infinity War and Endgame were to be, like, one movie that two, because, I mean, the Russo brothers were a creative team, so maybe yeah. they could take the load of two movies. But single directors, they think maybe can't, especially because they are in production basically continuously at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe they might be splitting. I don't think they have announced who's taking Secret Wars, but Ryan Coogler would seem to be the favourite right now, the bookie's favourite, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the fact that uh, the director of Shang-Chi is getting Kang Dynasty to me seems like Shang-Chi probably will be a big part going forward, you know? But yeah, I, I think that was assumed anyway. Yeah, but Shang-Chi just kind of feels dormant at the minute. I just don't feel he's doing anything. Well, that's the thing with, with a lot of... I think maybe Phase 5, I agree with you, will help Phase 4 because we'll start to see some a lot of these introduced characters do more stuff, hopefully. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of characters that they've introduced in Phase 4 which I think are good, which they just haven't done much. Like, obviously, Yelena, great. I'd like, I want to see her in more stuff. It's just the, it's like the, the 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 unpopular wheel spinning. Like they're just they're getting the engine started. They're stuck in the mud. Maybe phase four is kind of mid, but it's because they are being really grounded to start again with nothing, and that's just not exciting. Whereas people think Marvel's at the top of a mountain right now, you know, above the clouds with a gorgeous view. When in fact Kevin Feige has ripped it down and he's like no we're, go- we're going back into the mud I mean it is smart that way right they've, they've lowered everyone's expectations now yeah <laughs> that means phase 5 is going to blow people away just because they do one thing that's kind of neat yeah well I guess we'll see I haven't I haven't lost faith yet good I haven't either if other people I know have though Okay, Nathan, I think it's time for the big one. It's time to talk about the new Disney Plus show that's sweeping the nation. We're, of course, talking about Willow. Oh, you done it. <laughs> oh, you, you, I, we, we went Lucasfilm and then you zagged. I expected a zag. Oh, no. That's me, I'm subverting expectations, Nathan. Oh, no. no. Go see Knives Out. Go see Knives Out, Glass Onion. I, I, as much as I would love to commit to this joke, I haven't actually watched Willow, neither the film ne- or the new show. No, I've heard no, it's pretty good. People seem to like it. But I've, I've, yeah. heard, I've heard it's pretty bad. 
Okay, well, we've heard conflicting things. We have heard that. That means that we have nothing to say about it. We have nothing to say. I know nothing about Willow. I, I was shocked when they announced the show because I'd never heard of Willow until they announced the show. I'd heard of it. i just never seen it. Warwick Davis's uh, star project. Yeah, well, you know, he's speaking of Warwick Davis, he's also in Star Wars. So he is. He's one of the few characters who's in multiple roles in Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Speaking of characters who are in multiple roles in Star Wars, multiple. we're talking about Andor. Multiple. Who's in multiple roles? Oh, Andy Serkis. There we go. There He's we Snoke. go. He's Grand Leader Snook. So he is. So he is. Supreme Leader Snoke. Come on. Oh, I get said your Grand Leader. Right. I said Grand Leader. I'm sorry. I'll I'll hand in my credential card. I've never seen a Star War. Okay, we're beating around the rush. Okay, I'm just gonna say this flat out. Andor. It, it may be the best Star Wars thing ever. It's definitely the best piece of Star Wars television ever. Well, that yeah, easily like. Okay, it's hard to. It's almost hard to compare it to other Star Wars stuff because it's so different. Yeah, it's prestige telly. It almost seems like yeah. it belongs in like HBO with Game of Thrones. Yes, I, I would agree. Or like Succession, that Brian Cox show where he plays a Rupert Murdoch. Essentially, it's like a big media thing. All this. How are we going to do this? This Emmy bait telly. I think I think the best way to structure this for uh, we're going to do full spoilers, but I say we go through this arc by arc would be the oh, best way okay. to do this. So arc one is the heist. No, arc one is the introduction. Ah, yes, 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 yes. The first yes, three episodes. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. I'm getting off and our, the planet. And our martyrs of two cops and goes on the run. Yes, uh uh-huh. Now, I honestly think that first scene is, like, the best way they could have introduced the show. It's such a strong opening. Oh, and then and the, and the strip club? And the cyberpunk planet, yep. Yeah. There's a strip club. And it's just, it, it immediately tells you, like, this show is different yeah, this really is. people talk about the CD underbelly of the Star Wars universe, and then you get Boba Fett, and it's just yeah. nothing. <laughs> oh god, uh, I I've been thinking about Boba Fett a lot to thinking about the show because it's just night and day. Like Boba Fett is a show they didn't want to make. This is a show they really wanted to make. Though here's the thing, I think that for some reason I'm possessed to believe that the producers in Andor were very hands-off because I don't think a business would have allowed them to make this. Yeah, and I I really hope that that doesn't affect season two. I think... Oh, the Jumping viewing, ahead here a bit, the, but like... The viewing figures are down, so I hope it doesn't make them come back in. It's like, we've committed to season two, but you want those viewing figures up, we need a lightsaber. Yeah, because I've heard, I've heard too that... Um, like this show was shot at the same time as like Obi Wan and that, so they couldn't use the volume, and I think that was an unintentionally an amazing creative decision because just actually seeing real sets makes such a difference. I filmed a lot of it in Scotland. Filmed a lot of it in Scotland. A lot of the the second arc stuff is in Scotland. You can yeah. you can you can tell because it just looks real and. Apparently, I can get in a fifty minute train and go to that dam. And I, yeah, and I don't want to like chill on the volume because it has been used really well. But just the, the amount of laziness on display in Kenobi, looking back on it, like you see some of the shots, and it's like they're in a big circle, and you can see the big circle because the actors aren't walking outside of the circle. Yeah, that's they used a lot of traditional green screen in this, and for some reason, green screen, even though it's edited in, doesn't feel as claustrophobic. 
no, it's it's just because uh, to, to to bring it back to the first arc, like the Ferrex, which is where a lot of the show takes place. Comparing Ferrex to Moss Esper in the Book of Boba Fett, it's like laughable the comparison because yeah. Ferrex feels so real, and you can like by the end of the show, you can actually kind of picture the layout of the city in your yeah. head. Like there's the main road with the hotel on it, and there's a big yeah. corner there. And if you go down that corner, you get to Andor's house, and you can actually visualize it. Yeah. Whereas Moss Espa is just like rows and rows of identical desert streets. It, it, it felt it felt like. Like Rango. Oh, it's been a long time since I watched Rango. Just like a little western desert town city with a saloon. You know? I suppose I'm thinking of the place that uh, that skinny Boba Fett and the Marshal lived in. Yeah, well, yeah, that's... I'm talking about the big city that Yeah, the, the third Fett act takes the, over. The third yeah. act place, yeah. Uh-huh. I... Let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. So here's here's the thing, right? Let's to contrast this to the list of Star Wars TV. Contrast it is um, that mm. I I really enjoy Mando. I like the Dave Filoni cinematic universe field that he's introducing in Star Wars TV. I love Filoni's creative outlook. I think it's really fun. It is a bit more marvelly, but like I remember when Luke Skywalker showed up. I remember when Ahsoka showed up. I remember when Ahsoka said, "Where's Grand Admiral Thrawn?" And it's all this thing, you know shared universe story building on building on building that's all great and i love it this done none of that andor done the exact opposite possibly in the most violent way possible and it was still brilliant no setup no thing you know there's a one line where they talk about something on scarif but with no clue to what it might be there's there's no thing you know there's a couple but they're more subtle and they're more integrated into the story. Fair, fair. Because like Saul Guerrero shows up and they don't really introduce who he is. Yeah, two tube man, two tube man, his right hand man. Two tubes, uh, Melshi. Everyone loves Melshi. Yeah, I forgot who it was until I was like, oh yeah, he's Rogue One man. Yeah, I had no clue, but yeah, that was apparently a thing. Yeah, we have discussed this before, obviously. Uh, me and you have very different opinions on the thing you know. Yeah. Aspect of the Filoni shows. Yeah. Uh, and I still, I like, I still like Mando. Um, I'm not super hot on season two. We talked at length about the end of at, Mando season at two. At length. So, but this show, it it's it basically does everything I've wanted from a Star Wars show since the Disney era. Like you say, it's it's something completely different. It doesn't have a lightsaber in it. It doesn't have the. It doesn't even have the Force in it at all. Nobody even mentions Jedi's. There's one it's, line about Emperor Palpatine, but it's purely in a political sense and not in an yes. evil space wizard sense. Yeah, there's more than one line. They mention him a couple of times, but yeah, but that's oh, I because mean, he's the emperor yeah, and he's, he's going to come emperor. up. Yeah, and there's a lot of this set in the Senate. Yes, I a really lot of thought space we were politics. Gonna, I really thought we were going to see him. I guess why would the emperor show up to the Senate now? It's a complete sham. He doesn't need to be there, but you know. We're, we're jumping ahead. We'll get to the Mon Mothma stuff. I want to focus on the on the first arc first, because I think... I remember when it first announced they were doing the first three episodes. Like, that's a lot of episodes to start with. But after watching them, it makes total sense that they did it that way. Yeah, the first episodes are kind of boring if you don't watch them all together. That first arc is like phase four spinning mud to start up. Like you... See, I don't, I don't actually agree that the first episodes are boring, per se. Like, I would say by the end of the first episode, I was already hooked. But... You see, I wasn't. I think if I didn't have those full arc episodes, 
episodes one, two, and three, I would have, see if like it was just episode one, that was it. I would be so bored. I would still watch it week on week because it's Star Wars, but I wouldn't have been like, oh, I can't wait for next week. I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, Andor. I I don't disagree with that necessarily. I just think like it's just really well done. Well crafted, so, yeah, but first, first arc is Andor. He kills two people, and just like that, that opening scene, just sets the tone for the whole show perfectly. Where it's these two like crappy, they're not even the Empire soldiers. They're, they're like private corporate, corporations, private corporations, and they're like clearly abusing their power. And they tried to mug him, and. He doesn't even intentionally kill the first one. He does it by accident. Because I remember watching that scene the first time. Like, why isn't that other guy getting back up again to join the fight? And then it, it was revealed, like, oh, he just died. It's like, he just holy died. shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, um, I mean, it was not even that. I think the what reason he was there was he was searching for his sister. And yes. by the end of the show, that just doesn't matter anymore. Like, his sister's dead. We kind of know that. We've just think, moved on. I think we'll maybe explore it more in season two. I don't think so. I think the sister's gone. I because th- it's like the same with like Andy Circus. I don't think we're ever seeing him again. No, I, I I agree, and I don't want to see him again. Frankly, not that because I dislike him, but because that was just a perfect end to that character. I can't swim, Vine. Yes, it was. So, do you jump to the second arc then? We never spoke about Cyril. We never spoke about Cyril. Uh, honestly. Um, he might be one of my favourite characters in the show. Like, he sucks. He's the worst man in the galaxy, but I love him for it. He's just like, he was a failed police officer that got done the hard by, got sent back to live with his mum. Mum pulled a favour, called it uncle, got him a job checking sectors or something. He's like doing like space accounting or something. Yeah, I like the outfit. I like, like the tie that folds out from the middle of the chest. But yeah, Cyril is a what a fella I he is to me and this is I, the, behind the curtain I've already started working in a video but he is the perfect example of so much of him is clearly influenced by like modern neo-nazis and he's just like the perfect example of that kind of mindset where he's he's weasley and he's, he's conniving but he's He's almost, you can see that he's been brainwashed by this this system where he believes that if he commits everything to the nation or the empire, that he's going to be rewarded for it, even though that's clearly not the case. Well, see, I thought this show was going to go the other way because there's something about the casting of the guy. There's a little spark of light in his eyes. I think that, because I thought this was going to be a little bit more Mando-like at the time. It's like, mm-hmm. this guy is going to be disillusioned with things, he's going to join the rebellion. And me, we spoke about it with a friend it, I think of it ours. Does set up that way. And he was like, he was like, I, he was like, I hope they don't do that. And I was like, they're gonna do it. I was so sure they were gonna do it right at the start because mm-hmm. I thought this was just going to be like any other show. And over the course of the season, obviously, that becomes blatantly apparent that that is not no, going to happen. Every time, every time you think he's gonna get better, he just gets worse instead. Yeah, by the end of the show, the season, he's a complete devotee. Yeah, because there's the scene where you're like, okay, he's in this op- this boring, terrible office shop. Now he's going to realise that like his life is shit and he's going to join the rebellion. But no. Instead, he's going to wait outside of the ISB and harass a lady. And harass the supervisor that didn't <laughs> arrest him. That gave him a sly second chance. 
how scared were you that they were going to kiss at the end? Here's the thing. I think that there is a slight chance that a relationship will blossom between them because so you can, even though you're kind of you kind of root for Deidre, right? You're kind of like yeah, let, let yeah climb that cor- climb that corporate ladder, and then when she gets there, you're like oh no, why did I root for her? She's doing horrible things, which of course she was gonna do, but like you I like seeing her over. Like the, f- the first scene after she raises that is the genocide torture device scene. Yeah, and it's like oh right. Right, this is what's really going on here. <laughs> this is what we do here. Um, and I think that um, really with Cyril, I think she kind of likes him in a really like sick, messed up way. Like, oh yeah, she like, it's she, like the most toxic relationship imaginable. Yeah, uh, yeah, completely. It's completely toxic. Like she sees him outside the ISB. She's like, "Do you know how much trouble you're in? Don't ever come see me again, and all the rest of it." And yeah, I think she doesn't like arrest him. Yeah, so. but that's like a lot of conditioned training stuff that she's like conflicted with. So I think she quite likes it. And then when she she is saved by him at the end, and we're just skipping around. I know he said we're going to do it by arcs, but I think doing it by character might be more fulfilling actually. Yeah, sure, okay. When she is saved by him at the end, I think like she actually is full on like, okay, you can be in this with me. Yeah, and and that's that's one of the things I'm really interested to see where it goes in season two. Do you think we're going to see any of these villains again in season two? Because they've yeah, said I that, think so. They've said that each they said that next season because they clarified it a little bit because we knew that, I thought it was going to be each episode is a year of time. It's each arc is a year of time. That makes more sense because there's only like five years till Rogue One. Yeah, and each arc is going to be five arcs. So each arc is a year of time, and I feel like, but this Andor's going to be well into the rebellion two episodes in, you know, because that's two years of time. Yeah, like or two episodes, two arcs in. Yeah. Well, my assumption on that is he's a spy, so each arc will be a different spy mission, probably. Well, what's what's Cyril and Dedra going to be doing two years out from Rogue One, still after Andor? At this point, a reasonably high member of the on the ground rebellion. I think probably. You think they're still going to be after him? Yeah, I think so. They're, I mean, she's definitely still going to be after Axis. She's still going to be after Luthen, so... That's true. I think we're still going to see Luthen again. and mo- See all the protagonists, maybe with the exception of Andy Serkis. I think we're going to see all of them again. I, I just don't think we're going to see I definitely think we're still going to see Deidre and Cyril. I don't think we're done with their story yet. I would love to. I would love to. I just didn't really know if we were, because there was something about the show that felt very much like a Andor is the hook... And then we momentarily drag along, like dredging a trench. We're like dragging along these characters with us for a little bit until we lose them. I think and they're then important because they give you a look at what the Empire is doing. And I think that's an important lens for the show to have. Do you think at the end of season two, we're going to get a scene with Palpatine in the Senate dissolving the Imperial Senate? No, I don't. No. I think we're going to leave the Senate before that happens. I think at some point, Mon Mothman is going to get like run out of Coruscant. I mean, well, by the time of A New Hope, we know that she's in Yavin 4 because in Rogue One she's there. I think think we're we're going to see that play out long before we see the Senate dissolved. So you're going to see Mon Mothma actually have to declare herself as like a rebel politician and not actually an Imperial Senator. You think we're going to see Jimmy Smiths? Ah, yes. He is one of the few characters I do expect to see in this in Season 2. Okie doke. Um... We should probably jump onto the heist. We didn't speak about the heist at all. Yes. I think the show does a great job of escalating each of the arcs. I don't I, actually I don't know if the finale is, is more dramatic than the fourth one, but like 
because the present arc was so good, this one kind of gets left to the wayside, even though this arc is also really good. Yeah, this arc is really... I really enjoy what's her name. Mon Mothma's uh, cousin. Mon Mothma. I love Mon Mothma. I was so surprised that her that her story ended up like every time we tune in, I'm like, this is great. Her marriage is falling apart. Like, tell me more. She's planting the, the, the fun transactions on him. Where it's not even like they're two completely dissimilar people. It's just that she's not fine with what's going on in the galaxy and he's just sort of fine with it. But they both come from very similar I, backgrounds. I love that. I think this show is so great at doing like... Like, all the characters are so detailed in ways that Star Wars hasn't done before. Like, her husband, he's not, like, a major character in the show. He's not even a villain, I would say. He's just kind of no, apathetic. He doesn't care. He's just, he's just... But just the way he's written, you get such, like, a clear understanding of that character where, like, it's not that he, like, loves the Empire, hates the, the Empire. He just doesn't care. And, yeah. like, they have, they have the scene where he's, like inviting like her rival politicians around to their party just because he wants to have a drink with them like he just doesn't give a shit yeah he just likes them yeah he just likes hanging out with them Ex- yeah exactly and but it was and she's like got to the stage now where she's starting to she knows that her driver's a spy and yes. she's like planting distrust into them with them um, with like being like you you know you're have you lost all this money gambling because he's got a history of gambling and then she believes or she's pretending to believe that he's lying to her so that the driver will think because he think they he thinks that she thinks that he can't hear her yeah so there's, so, there's so many layers going on in that scene it's great yeah, good plants really good plants um so like he goes and tells the isb oh he's losing a lot of money gambling she's not happy about it and they think that's probably going to be like political blackmail or something, but really it's the perfect plant Mum Mothma wants because she doesn't want them to be looking at her for the money. They want to be losing it through the gambling. Yeah, and I also, there's just, there's so much great drama in that because she invites her like friend from the bank, her like, oh, old yeah. school friend. Yeah. And it's never said it, actually, I think, yeah, I think her cousin does mention it at one point, but the two of them have like a sort of, an unspoken romantic chemistry and you're like is one mothma gonna cheat on her husband with this guy and i just love that i think that's great like i, I never thought that was gonna drama. happen but i do think they have chemistry um I, honestly i'm kind of waiting for it to be her daughter that sells her out oh yeah her daughter sucks which i also think is great horrific you see Mon mothma in rogue one and you see her in R- return of the jedi like you've been through some stuff mon like, yeah, because she's talking to Vel and her daughter is doing this weird, like, cult chant. Yeah, it's, she's, like, part of a religious group or something. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, she's, like, rebelling from her mum, but, like, in the weirdest, like, culty way possible. It's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, yeah, the Mon Mothma stuff is great. And I love that she's, like, pretending to be this, like, completely ineffectual politician who's like, we should form a committee to stop the Empire from committing war crimes. True carrying uh, Padme Amidala's uh, torch. Yes. But uh, but it's, it's a bruise, obviously. She's actually much cooler than that. Yes, uh, indeed, indeed. But I actually think that she is trying to do two jobs at once. She's trying to be like a rebel funding extremist while also trying to see if she can resolve things in the Senate. She just knows that's not going to happen. I think, uh, yeah, I think she knows that's not going to happen, though. But she's trying. You know, like how like she's she's having to lower her status by essentially joining up with like 
a gangster banker. And I love how messy that is, because obviously she hates the idea of arranged marriages. We know that because her marriage was arranged and she hates her husband. Yeah. Uh, But we also know that the daughter would want the arranged marriage thing, because she's into all the traditional stuff. So it's just, it's beautifully messy. And furthermore, if it came out that she was doing business with him, the gangster, like... It isn't going to be great, but she's a good person, but she's having to get into messy territory. So, like, no one stays clean here. Everyone gets dirty. Yes. And, you know, I actually thought another subvert of expectations, I thought he was going to kind of be a little bit kind of... Remember the the motorbike gang from Boba Fett? (laughs) Yes. The The mods. Yeah, I thought he was going to be a little bit like them. And then he wasn't. He was just, he looked like her banker friend. He was like coarse on a dress. He had the slick back hair. He spoke well. He was fluent. And I was like, Yeah, he is... wasn't like a greasy mobster type. Yeah, I thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna be like Zero the Hut. <laughs> like, honestly, the show made negotiations about transferring bank funds just some of the most interesting stuff in Star Wars. And that's so impressive. And this is in the same show with that heist. Yes, and the heist too, I really loved all that stuff as well. Like, uh, It wasn't quite as glamorous because they're all hiding in dirt. Mon Mothma's cousin was who I was meaning earlier, by the way. I can't remember her name, but she's part of the heist group. Vith, Vail. I think the show does such a great job of introducing characters. Like, everyone in that heist is so clearly defined and you understand them and like their motives for why they're doing all this. Yeah, absolutely. And then some characters, some characters, some characters just die. They don't go down in a blaze of glory where they get shot and then they crawl dramatically. Then they take, they throw a grenade and blow themselves up and kill five people with them. They just hit the yeah, ground. Like the 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 ga- the undercover I, our imperial officer who's like yeah. helping them out. And he has this big like redemptive arc where he says to his commander, "Like I deserve more than hanging for seven years serving you and all this." And then he just gets shot and he just dies. And they don't even like mourn him particularly. It's just like we've got shit to do. Yeah, we are moving. We are moving. We are moving. They kind of mourn the the kid with the manifesto for like two seconds, but that's it. Andor kills the guy that was going to take the ship and split the money with him. I love that. It's because I was like, you can't trust this guy. He's obviously going to betray you. And then Andor just shot him. A lot of, you know, Star Wars pulling from real life. Highland clearances. Very Scottish, you know? Yes. Um, I had I had read some things online. People thought it was about, like, Hispanics crossing the border. I... I no, it's, no. It's just they don't cross a border. It, 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 yeah, to, to me it just reeked of, uh, you know, Americans not knowing other history. Amer- Americans trying to pull, thinking every show, every every show now that has any commentary about anything must be immediately ripped from. The, they think it's Star Trek Picard. They think it's stuff that's ripped from the headlines. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's much closer to to older stuff like that, where they're the Empire are deliberately and slowly erasing this this other Native peoples. Culture. But also, they specifically mention they are building industrial cities in the south for them to move to. Yes, which is they're, where I live. They they're they're humouring their cultures, but they're I, intentionally trying to like remove them slowly. Yeah, they're trying to do it without with like without like a revolution. And also, like it's it's not like an important detail or anything, but the 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 premise of the heist is they're going to do it during this like this uh, what do you call it? like cosmic Me- event meteor basically. shower. This meteor shower and that meteor shower is so cool. <laughs> it's so it's like a rainbow, but like not in an arch. Like it's a rainbow. It's like the rainbow bridge of Asgard across the skyline. It, yeah. 
It's awesome. It's such a great setting for the heists. The ships just disappear into it, the TIE fighters. I mean, it's weird how like, a single TIE fighter can be a legitimate threat. You know? It's Yeah, like when they see one flying around on patrol and they all have to duck down and hide all the guns. Exactly, exactly. It's just like, and I love that this show, like, yeah, we're talking about how characters die and stuff, but I don't think the show is, like, particularly, like, morbid or dark in that way. It's realistic, but it's not, like, it's not like grim, dark Game of Thrones where characters just die constantly and it's, like... Yeah. It it kills people strategically. Yeah, I don't think the show ever gets depressing in that way. Where, like, when a character dies, it makes sense. Like, their plan didn't go well, and obviously people are going to die. And that guy who ran across an open battlefield obviously is going to get shot. Exactly. No, no, I'm one with the force, and the force is with me. And speaking of heist crew, uh, you said you really liked Vel. I did. I thought she was fantastic. I was amazed when she was related to one Mothma. It made perfect sense, by the way. But I was just like, whoa, I, wow, you're related. It's, it's so like subtly revealed. Like they don't make a big deal of it. It's just like, oh, she's Mon Mothma's cousin. Okay. Yeah, she just sits down and there she is sitting there with her. And I think like I, her relationship with the other lady is... Lady that stays on Phoenix for the whole show. Yes. Doesn't do much. She doesn't do much, but she, again, she's like a really interesting character to me just because she is so like committed to the mission she she's becomes like, more totally of an extremist as, yeah, as time goes on she's like she's got the little magnifying glass set up looking right down at the hotel she's like take everything with us to deconstruct everything we will kill everyone she totally murdered that child right oh the family of the commandant of the dam yeah, she totally killed them yeah i think so <laughs> like it's never said on screen or ever spoken about but when she's walking away from that base she's like she killed all the, that family yeah, there's she, no way she let them she, live she, she gunned them all down I'm pretty confident but yeah and their relationship because like um, it's pretty clear that they're in a relationship their relationship is terrible it's totally unhealthy and it's clear that like like Vel knows that but she's staying in it anyway it can be rough out there in their room yeah, there's only like three lesbians in all of Star Wars, so you gotta you gotta take those chances when you can get them. Exactly, exactly. Really enjoyed Vel. I I hope to see more of her. Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm because uh, she's yes, got to die though because she's, she's not anyone that's not in Rogue One. They die in the show. It's like how anyone not in a new hope died that. in Rogue One. Like I I know I I think. T- I think of all the characters in the show, she is one of the ones that has the potential to live. I, I think most of the Ferrex people, are, I don't see dying. I don't see, like, Bex and the big man. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're too small to die. They are not going to make a difference in the Rebellion, but I think any medium-weight characters will die. Um, unless you think, like, Luthen's going to show up in the Ahsoka show set after Return of the Jedi. <laughs> oh, I think Luthen is definitely going to die. Yeah, he's, he's got to die. No one will know his name, you know, that speech. Stellan Skarsgård, man. Fantastic. You know what I loved? One of my favourite scenes in the whole show. Not even a scene, it's just a bit. When he's walking around on his ship by himself when he's first going to Coruscant. And he's like Mm -hmm. putting his like Coruscant clothing on. He's washing himself. He puts the wig on and he's looking in the mirror and he does like a fake smile. And he's almost like the Joker doing a little dance to himself, (laughs) a little twirl. But I... Loved it because it was such like a person that's like he is nothing. His true self is nothing. He has like he's not no. He has no joy in him. He's just a mechanical animal there to bring down the empire with espionage and spies and the strategic attacks. 
mm-hmm. but he has to pretend to be this showman for the sake of cover story. And yes. but it's like it's not like he's just doing it in the moment in front of people. He's practicing it when there's no one around. And I just liked seeing him and that really the, the camera was really good. Like the corridor of the ship just looks so fucking narrow. Like the walls were closing in around him and he's like just little smile puts on his wig and his little joker danced himself like a little sway. And it's- yeah, Lithin is phenomenal. And it it's weird because in theory this is a character that maybe I shouldn't like because I guess the impression is that the rebellion is a bit a bit more sinister than let's believe, but Well that's it, exactly it just, what they set up in Rogue One. Yes. It starts with Andor killing a man. Because he broke his arm. Yes, but it just it, it lent such a, a reality to it because, like, even at the end, even though he does dark things, he's not like a bad person. He just understands the realities of war. Not everyone's Luke Skywalker. No one. He's not everyone's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. yeah. No, like look, he. That's what that speech is that he gives in the lower parts of Coruscant when he's speaking to the spy at the ISB. He's like. I'm not going to get a medal from Mon Mothma at the end of Star Wars Episode 4 New Hope. I am the person that builds the infrastructure that will allow the actual heroes to operate on. I am the person who built the foundation that will allow the heroes to have a runway. Luke Skywalker can't have his runway if I don't build it first. And I build it by unnecessary, by evil means, you know? I'm I'm condemned by the, to use the tools of my enemies. There you go, there you go. You remember the words. I don't. There you go. I don't part. I don't remember the speech. But that that was it. That's exactly what he says. You know. Yes, he, he has so many great scenes. I also really love the scene between him and Saul Guerrero, where he's he's talking about uh, like if if Saul Guerrero goes to help Anto Krieger, he will die, and they can't warn him because then they'll know that they have a spy. Yeah. Whereas if you let the. Uh, attack fail, then, like, they'll think that everything's fine. Yeah, and Sokorara starts looking around like he's freaked out by this. It's like, he's like, who is the spy? Who who have you got someone spying on me? It would make perfect sense that you've got spies everywhere. And he says it's fucking two tubes. <laughs> <laughs> he's the spy. <laughs> he's a little bit of levity, though it isn't played for laughs. I don't think it is played for laughs. No, but it is, yeah. It's... Uh... It's just such a great scene between, like, and honestly, I've never loved Saul Guerrero as a character. Like, he, he they keep, I don't think Saul Guerrero is necessary to this show. No, like, ne- neither do I. That's why I think it was all done in reshoots. Like, the show was finished, and then they went back and added all the Saul Guerrero stuff eight months after. It's possible. I, I don't, they, they realised that they could get uh, Forrest Whitaker for a few days, well, so they decided to shoot some scenes. Well, maybe they thought, oh, he'll become relevant in season two. Maybe let's lay the groundwork for it now. Maybe. And I, I do wonder, I, the one thing that I felt was odd, because this, this whole like Antle Krieger attack thing becomes kind of like a, an important background plot for a few episodes. And we never meet him. We never meet him. And I thought I thought that was weird. Like there's not a scene where Luthen goes and says hello to him or something. Yeah. But, like, he's, yeah. he's like a true believer of the rebellion. He's like, oh, yeah, coach, I'm going to do it. Put me in. And he dies horribly. It was just yeah. a face we saw on a hologram, a character we never met. And just a name that we were spoken, about, other people spoke about around the audience. Like we were, like it was almost felt like there was an expectation we were supposed to know who it was, and we just didn't. Yeah, it's like I wonder if people are watching this show, like, oh, that must be a guy from the from the cartoons or something. But it's not. It's, it's just, just some guy. It's just some guy we will never know. Although yeah. I'm sure you'll have like a book written about him now. The, the amazing tales. Of well, I, I saw someone put something on Twitter. I think the actual blue hologram form because we did see his face very briefly on like a picture. He's just some fan artist on Twitter, apparently. 
<laughs> he, the guy too, he that's like, funny he was like Tony Gilroy thanks for putting me in your show thank you thank you it means the world to me and it was like a just little easter egg that's that's nice you get to be a guy who dies in a, in a staged raid with no lines of dialogue no hey you're sacrificed for the greater goods you think we're going to see some Bothan spies next season probably that'd be fun that'd be nice it's it's still weird to me that this is a prequel to Rogue One I, well, I, like, I think I think totally it's perfect with Rogue One. I mean, I just think it's better than Rogue One. That's why. <laughs> wow, wow. Do you disagree? I, I haven't actually watched rewatched. I've been meaning to rewatch Rogue One now that season one's finished, just to kind of get keep the Andor train going. I think it's different from Rogue One, but I think tonally it's the exact same as Rogue One. Like tonally, I think it's immediately the same. I I would agree with that, but I think. It handles that tone much better. I think that's the benefit of the show. Speaking is like sometimes like Kenobi could have just been a movie, didn't need to be a show. I think if the Andor thing was a movie, it would have been horrific. This yes. needed to be a show. And I, yeah, and I think it's very well structured as a show with the arcs, which is it's not really a thing I've seen shows do before. But I wish more shows would do it, where you have like little mini arcs in the season. Yeah, uh, really that's idea. what that's what Doctor Who used to do. Sure, like old old Doctor Who. The old old Doctor Who, yeah. Robots of Death was a four-part story, yeah. Uh, the Genesis of the Daleks, like all this stuff was just, old, yeah, arcs upon arcs. Um, some shows still do do it, but it's just, yeah, it isn't that common anymore. Let's talk about, I know we're going to just, you said arc the nicest character, but I would talk, let's just talk about the whole present thing, please. You know, it's, it's interesting, because I I watched this late. I, I only caught up like an episode before the finale, much to everyone's annoyance. Yeah, you did. The prison art was over and me and some other people were like, you need to watch yeah. it! So, so I knew that they were going to a prison and I knew from the memes that Andy Serkis was going to show up. See, I had that as a surprise. Yeah, so I I kind of instinctively assumed that I wouldn't like the prison arcs just because I generally don't love prison arcs in things. Yeah, it feels like you get really bored looking at the same set. Yeah, you get stuck in the same set with all these like classic like prison tropes where there's like yeah. the aggressive gang that he has to overcome and eventually yeah. work with and all this like yeah, yeah. all this prison stuff that you expect. But this shit didn't do any of that. No, it was like everyone was all real, didn't even speak about the crimes of anyone done, like if anyone deserved to be here. The point of the show was no. it didn't matter what their crime was, yeah. no one the deserves to be was there. It, like like no it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they never ask Andy Serkis uh, or Kino Loy, I think is his character yeah, name. Yeah, Kino, yeah. They never ask him what his crime was, because it doesn't matter. We saw how Andor got in there, and I love that too. Like, he just committed this massive heist, and he gets arrested for, like, a lot... For, like, for loitering, yeah. Loitering, or, yeah. Or potentially he was accused of being part of that gang that was running away. Andor should have got the hell out of there. He shouldn't have been there. Um, just because of the consequences. Um... I really didn't expect him to go to prison. See, like when we got to like, the end of the episode, I was like, oh, I guess he's just in prison now. I was like, what is this show? Like, that's where the show really took a turn for me because I know the show was caught up into arcs with the um, introduction arc leaving Phoenix and then the heist arc. But I thought the show was just going to continue along that story. Whereas mm-hmm. traditionally, I would call going to prison like a speed bump to that story. You're like, okay, the whole story's just stopped because now he's in prison. Get out of prison and go back to the story. But no, it elevated the show in a weird way that I don't quite know how to articulate because it really, I think, well, tra- traditionally I think this prison arc would have just stopped the story we were watching. I think the prison is like, it's basically the most important step on 
on Cassian Andor's character it's, arc. Indeed. It's when he it's when he develops his hatred or it's it's when he develops his fighting spirit against the Empire, basically. Yep. It's like this is like terrible and I have to stop this from happening to people, basically. I did quite enjoy that Dedra was spending the whole show looking for him when he was already in an imperial prison. That's great. It's, <laughs> she could have just, if she knew his name, like his fake name, she could have just went and picked him like, up. It's like the irony of the safest place for him to be in an imperial prison. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He can't do anything that will draw attention to himself he's already inside the system. Yeah, just the, the whole setup of this prison, it's so, like, it's dystopian. They use sign language to get things across cells through the windows and it takes them, it takes weeks to even get single words from lower levels beneath them up because it goes through iterations of Chinese whispers and because it's not audio, people can misread it with the hand signals. Just just the way everything is set up, like, it's so, like, rigidly enforced. They've got these 50, 50 people and they build these things on tables and if the, the winner gets uh, flavoured food and flavored the loser food. gets tortured yeah, and... <laughs> It's all like rigidly enforced, and they don't even have guards in there. They just have one of the prisoners in charge of the rest of the prisoners, like a chef, so, a chef manager. Yeah. And how like efficient it's all self, but it's it's efficient to the point that like if one thing goes wrong, then the entire thing fails. Yes, and what failed here was someone got out. And then through like an admin error was accidentally put back on a pr- the same prison again where word could spread that he had just been put back in the same prison but on a different floor whereas maybe he was supposed to have just got moved to a completely different prison where no one would have known. Yes. And then they had to kill an entire floor. Yeah. And, I, and like the paranoia that sets in because no one really knows what's happening. You just keep hearing like something happened on level 2. Something happened 12. on level 2. Something bad. Yeah. So 12. Yeah. And they send a medic up, and the medic's the one that can traverse the floors. And he's like, yeah, they, they tortured the entire floor. And yeah, that's another one. So they've got this like old guy on their team who's yeah. clearly like he's like really old and really unhealthy, and like at the start of the sh- at the start of the episode, though, he was fine. Yeah, but you see that work because that episode that arc actually takes place over like a couple months, I think. Six months, I think. Yeah, so you see his his condition deteriorating, and uh, Kino's like. Oh, don't worry, old timer. You've only got forty more shifts left. You yeah. can do this, and you're like, yeah. There's no way this guy's surviving. So yeah, it's like killing him is probably the best thing because he ain't getting out of here. Yeah, it's the, no one's getting out. It's oh, it's so good. So so good. And he keeps asking Kino how many guards. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling. That was what that that episode because the first episode we see Andy Circus. I'm like, oh, that's just a nice bit part for Andy Circus. Good for him. Good for him. Happy he's here. And I didn't really know why they cast him. It was nice to see him, but I didn't know why they cast him. Get to the end of the second episode, where it's just no more than 12, I was like, now I know why they cast him. Holy moly. What good television. Good telly. Oh, yeah. And just the the whole setup of the prison, it's such a great, like... This this is going to factor into my video where I've worded it better, but... It's a co- it's like a compression of the entire system of like the fascist government basically, where they like they pit people against each other so they ignore the real threat. They like they have to harshly punish disobedience because because they vastly they're outnumbered by the entire galaxy so they have to make sure that people they overwhelm the senses with 
with issues. I think uh, Nemec says this, the, the, the little commie soft boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's He has like a speech about how they it's easier to hide behind a hundred atrocities than for people to rally around one. Yes. So they just like overwhelm the senses in this prison. There's like so many issues that you can't like be angry at one of them. It just becomes the normal. Yeah, it's just that is the way things are. And like, yeah, like someone, uh, I think it's in episode two, someone like kills themselves on the floor because they've just like had enough. Oh, he just he just steps out of his cell, doesn't he? He just steps out of his cell and like people aren't mad at the prison they're mad at that guy for killing himself because now he's going to stink up the, the cells all night all, the, the team were mad because they were like now we're going to be a man short and we're never going to meet the core yeah, we, we'll like, probably end up getting tortured at the end of the day yeah it's that way that they have like deflected where the true issue is yeah. like it's the prison's fault it's not that guy's fault you, he's not the one to be mad at but it's just the way that um the empire just becomes this like constant in people's life. It's like you can't you can't beat the empire. That's a ridiculous thought. So, or like when Andor comes home and they're, they're, and Bix says to him like people are going to turn you in because uh, they blame you for what happened. Where it's like you don't blame the empire. The empire is you can't you can't stop the empire. The only thing you can do is stop the empire from taking notice of you. Yeah, it's like it's like don't don't blame don't blame the system. Just don't break the rules of the system and things won't be as bad. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, all that stuff is just... This show makes the Empire feel so much more real than it has in any other Star Wars thing. Yeah, I really like the ISB stuff though with like, uh, oh he was Kyburn in Game of Thrones, he was the Grand Master. Yes, I know know the guy, yeah. Yeah. See that, the the guy that came to, even his boss shows up for one episode, was that Yularen? It was Yularen, yeah. In the subtitles it says Yularen. That's pretty nifty. It didn't really seem much like Yularen, but it was a very small part anyway. Yeah, it was a small so. bit. Yeah, he's one of the random people that shows up. One of the very few. But like, it's not. It doesn't characters. matter that it's him. No, it does. It could have been anyone. Yeah, it's just like a, a nice little nod. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, so we escape the prison. One way out. One way out. Andor doesn't care to be the person that takes credit for this kind of thing. He's a bit like Luthen in that regard. He's happy to like you know take the fall if things go wrong. Essentially, though that's not the intent. Um, he lets Kino give the speech. Shift manager. I am floor eight or whatever it is. Everyone. That's that's so great too because when they walk in there and, and they're like turn it off and he's like well, that could mean so many things and they just shoot one of the guys. Like, yeah. Jesus. No fucking around here. Just turn it off. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. Turn it off. I think Kino must have expected there to be like some sort of shuttle they could use to get out of there because he knew he was surrounded by water. He saw the window no, in the flying. I, I I I think he knew that he was never getting out, which I love. Like he did all of this just for everyone else. He knew he was never getting out of there. Yeah. That's that's really sad. I wonder if he did jump and drown or if someone carried him. I don't I don't know. I think he just stood there. Because that, that's the wonder of the show, what happened. Melchie's like, when they're back in the pleasure planet, when they fly away, he's like, we could have been the only two that made it. I don't think we'll ever know. I think we probably never Star will. Star Wars Risa, yeah. I think, yeah, Star Wars Risa. I think maybe in like, I don't know, in, in something, some animated show or Mando or something or anything, there'll be like a little reference to a prison escape that happened back then that's talking about this incident. And they'll be like, a, yeah, everyone died except two people. Potentially, I, 
I think there's such great stuff about like the news though. Like when when Ander first gets into the prison and they're all asking him about like you, you, everyone has to be talking about this new like prison law, right? Yeah. And and they're like he's never heard of it. He's never heard of the double dollar sentences, and he's never even heard of it because like the empire just doesn't let that news spread. Like it's that because that would be bad if they let that news out so like i think mon mothma is talking about it in the senate but it's it's not it's not not publicized yeah it's it's, yeah and it's yeah it's so great and when he's when he gets convicted he's got this like this lady who's not even like a bad person or anything she's just like the person they have to sign the papers yeah she's just someone's on the paper she's just an admin person she's there to to read the charging File the sentence yeah. that she's probably got and she's, a script she's in like front of her. She's like eating nuts or something. Yeah. She's like snacking on nuts, and she's just like, "Oh, shame, shame for you. This was six months." Take it out with it. Take, take it out with the emperor. Yeah. Yep. That's that's so good. Yeah. Uh, just like the regular people in the empire, who like they aren't necessarily like bad people. They're, They're apathetic and part of the system. The system. Yeah. yeah. Like during the Clone Wars, I'm sure they would have been republic to the core, fighting the Seppies. You know, they hate. They loved the clones. Hated the droids. You know, and then yeah. just the Empire is the Republic, and they're like, well, we were the good guys, so we must still be the good guys, and this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. I did like the little reference to the fact that Andor was a separatist, the little planet that it was on when that ship crash lands on it. Their uh, sep- uh, CIS uniforms that they're wearing. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Uh, yes, little, little touches uh, when he's on Phoenix as like a young man, the clone trooper armor is what the stormtroopers are wearing. Yes, uh, I like lo- that as lovely well. little touches. Lo- love little touches. Every the color palette's just drained out of everything. That they're completely white. Phoenix looks completely white as well. What do we think of the last act? What do we think? I think uh, it wasn't as good as the prison arc, but no. that's not to say it was bad. It was still like I would say it's still on par with like the the heist episodes. Okay, yeah. I think after the prison, I was a little bit let down with the last episode. But I think it's also because I thought the second last episode was better than even the last episode was. Because I loved Luthen getting trapped in the Star Destroyer's tractor beam and then firing those metal darts that completely... Sh- the metal darts would be getting brought towards the tractor beam anyway. So with its velocity and the tractor beam, it just shreds the radar dish. And he uses the lasers to swoop around and kill the TIE fighters and get out of there. Like His was like a Millennium Falcon if it wasn't shit, you know? See, I think I like the last episode because the show is the show is so good at, at rising tension. Yeah, that's fair. I love the speech from Harry Potter's auntie. What's her name? From Marva. Marva. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought that speech was really powerful. Uh, <laughs> her like ash brick is used to beat a guy over the head. <laughs> it's what she would have wanted. It's what she would have wanted. And yeah, how like it became like a riot in the street. Like I, I didn't dislike it. Right, I, I want to be clear. I didn't dislike it. I just think that to me, it wasn't as captivating as the prison stuff. I, I agree, but I, I really, uh, there's a great, there's a great moment where they're doing this sort of like somber march through the streets. Yeah, and it's kind of it's close ups, it's close ups, so you don't really see how many of people there is. And then it finally yeah. pans out to a white shot, and you see like, well, the entire like town is here, and they're Which all marching more than the garrison. empire had permitted. It's significantly more than the empire had permitted, and suddenly, like the imperial officer, they're starting to look nervous. They're like, "This is all going to go terribly wrong." And just that yeah. speech, as she's doing that speech, and what I love about that speech too is 
it's not like a perfectly written speech. It's like a, she kind of repeats phrases a lot. She keeps saying like the same thing over and over. It yeah. just feels more like She calls them natural. bastards. She calls them bastards. Apparently, originally, they wanted her to say, fuck the Empire. The I, I, saw, I saw a tweet about that. I think that was a... I don't believe that. I think that that would I think that would have been really crass. I don't think I would have liked her to say, fuck the Empire. No, I'm, if that's the case, I'm glad they cut that. But that's yeah. funny. There's also, like... Uh, we haven't really talked about it, but uh, I'll even mention that uh, Bex, one of Andar's friends, gets taken in to be tortured with a genocide torture device. Hear the screams of certain aliens that cause the screams hear, of their children hear, to be. Hear the screams of like children dying that causes a very specific painful noise. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird detail, but I love it. But yeah, so she's been like, and I love to like they don't show it, but this is a universe where like. Like, she doesn't, like, heroically resist torture. It's just, like, in the next scene, uh, Deidre's just saying, like, oh, yeah, she gave us all this information. Yeah. So, like, and then they just sort of leave her as bait. But there's a there's a great scene that I found, like, kind of heartbreaking when um, they're doing, like, the funeral march. And it just sh- cuts the heart, like, sort of at the window. And she kind of, like, weakly hums along to it. I thought yes. that was so sad. <laughs> but in a good way, like... It just that that particular shot worked for me really well. Of like, she's like really hurt and really broken, but she's still like loyal to Ferex in this, and she understands the culture. Ferex has such a clear like it's never like stated outright, but they have such a distinct culture that makes them just feel more real. Like they have this guy who goes up and he hits the anvil every morning. I love that, by the way. Yeah, it's they have all their little customs and like when the the corpos are coming and they all go out to their their front door and they cause this like alarm, basically to yes. let Andor know that something is happening because they're like because they're they're a community and they're loyal to each other despite everything all this. It's Ferrex just feels so much more real than like anything in the, like I say like Mos Espa and Book of Boba Fett or anything. They just feel like a real community that could exist. I mean, I can probably believe Moss Espa can be real as well. They get places that don't have a sense of community around them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm being quite serious. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. You get places that just don't care. You get really apathetic, you know, no man's land towns, they exist. And that place is somewhere that is just beaten into submission by the mob, that maybe they are kind of too scared to do anything. Whereas this is like a working class man's town, you know? Where they or not man's they they're rebelling against the man that's the word, um and they they really care about each other you know they get real community spirit which I get which I get um I do look forward to season two even though I kind of thought this ending leaned a little bit heavily on the fact that there's a season two oh for sure yeah I I wouldn't have been as happy with the ending if I didn't know for sure that we were getting a season two yeah this this ending really leans on the you come back you hear you know I do think I do think the final the final shot though where Andor goes back to uh, Luthen and he's he ready for like, Luthen to kill him he, he, no he says like kill me or let me join you basically yeah. and then we just get end on that shot of Luthen smiling and I think that is a strong ending to the finale because it's like yeah we know that Andor becomes a spy but I think yeah I, I, th- I think I would have preferred it this season to feel like its own thing whereas now I think that the whole show is going to feel like its own thing, like one and two are going to be required back to back viewing and it's just I feel unfulfilled, I need to wait another year for it, you know 
Uh, or no, it doesn't even start filming. I think it's twenty twenty four. We get it, or is it late twenty twenty three? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like that's so. I, I think I think this season was still good enough on its own. Like it, it definitely leaves a lot of open plot threads, but I think in terms of finale to this season, I think it worked really well. I'm actively anticipating season two. Yes. In a way that I am not anticipating season two of Mando season three, even though I like Mando. Season two of I'm Mando like, season three. Season three of Mando. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not like I'm not like not excited for that, but not in the same way that I'm excited for Andor season three. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for Andor for Prestige Telly. I'm excited for Mando for Star Wars. You know, uh, and it almost feels like the Andor is a good show incidentally set in the Star Wars universe whereas Mando is like Star Wars CU, you know mm-hmm. which are fine but they're different things different products, you know I can like Prestige telly and I can like my shared cinematic universe telly for different reasons, you know and I'm looking forward to Mando coming late February, early March next year Actively excited for it. Ahsoka's, you know, going to be coming out sometime next year as well, I Don't presume. forget about Bad Batch Season 2. Oh, I can't wait for Bad Batch Season 2. Just to bring it back to Indiana Jones, where this all started, I'm looking forward to it, but for different reasons than what I'd be looking forward to Andor for, you know? You go, you go to different products for different things, you know? And Andor is going to be... I'm really looking forward to the award season. I really want to see if it gets anything, or even if it gets nominated for anything. I think it definitely should I think for sure Andy Serkis is going to get an animation for a supporting role or something. So many people I know have not bothered to watch this show. I know. I've been trying so... It's it's because the show is so hard to sell to people. They thought Star Wars would be enough. I'm surprised this is getting a second season, by the way. Not quality-wise, but reception-wise. I think, yeah, I, I've had such trouble trying to... Because I'll acknowledge, I was one of these people too, where it's like, oh, we're doing a show about Cassie and and or a character I don't really remember. Until, the, until, the, tra- like that much. until the trailer came out, I agreed. Even after the trailer came out, like, as I say, I was a late adopter to the show, but I just heard so many good things. That's like, okay, well, I have to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you finally crumbled. That's why you were late. You were late to it. But yeah, try, especially trying to sell this to people who aren't like super into Star Wars because I think you can easily watch this show without knowing much about Star Wars as long as yeah, you know no. like it's a sci-fi universe and the Empire are bad you're pretty sorted for the show you don't need to know about like Darth Vader or anything like that no, you don't need to know not, the deep not, lore not, not a thing. but because the show is called Star Wars and our people are like oh do I have to have watched Rogue One? No you definitely do not have to have watched Rogue One for this I just don't know what you would call it you can't call it Rebels. Star Wars Rebellion? Brand Confusion <laughs> Yeah, like I understand why they called it this. It just it makes it really hard to to get people to watch the show, and also the fact that you do kind of need to tell people like, okay, you have to commit to the first three episodes at least, which is also like a it's hard to convince people to That's do that ask. for a show they're not That's sure about. Ask. Yeah, like yeah, I almost wish they'd released the first three episodes as like a super long one episode, but I understand why they didn't do that. Oh, it's just like the Snyder cut chapter times, chapter times. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, everyone should watch Andor. That's that's the final take of Name Not Included. That is the final take of Name Not Included. And Indiana Jones is going to be great. <laughs>